Welcome to Women in Venture Capital. I'm Roshvina, a student at Harvard Business School with prior experience in finance and more recently venture capital in Africa. And I am Anvita, Harvard Business School class of 22. I've actively worked in VC and tech startup space. Our mission at Women in Venture Capital is simple: increase the representation of women in the VC industry through awareness and engagement. So join us as we engage with women establishing their presence in VC. Our guest today is Julie Sandler. Julie is the co-founding general partner of PSL Ventures and the managing director of Pioneer Square Labs. Prior to PSL, Julie was a partner at Madrona Venture Group, where she led several investments for the firm. She teaches an MBA course on entrepreneurship at the University of Washington, for which she's been named a UV Star teacher several years in running. In 2013, she launched the Seattle Entrepreneurial Women's Network, an informal forum for women entrepreneurs and startup execs, to connect in the greater Seattle area. Julie was one of the 60 Americans selected as a Presidential Leadership Scholar in 2016 by the Clinton Foundation. She was voted GeekWire's 2014 Geek of the Year for her support for her work supporting women entrepreneurs and innovators. Earlier in her career, Julie was a senior product manager at Amazon on the Kindle team at Accenture and at TeachStreet.com. She graduated from Stanford University with both a master's degree and a bachelor's degree in psychology, and received an MBA with honors from Harvard Business School. It's an absolute pleasure, Julie, to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so delighted to be here. Amazing. Jumping right into our discussion, you've clearly had an amazing career in the VC world. But before we dive into that, we see that you've had a bachelor's in psychology and an MBA. Uh, you started your career as a PM with Accenture and Amazon. Could you talk a little bit about how did all of those decisions come into being, and any learnings from those experiences that are serving you good in the VC industry today? Well, you know, originally I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, my dream was to kind of blend the clinical and, and research worlds of it, and I went really deep. Uh, into psychology when I was in um, an undergrad, and it's really more accidental that I ended up on the tech path and a variety of product and marketing roles before getting to the venture side. But um, I have to say, of all the experiences that I've had, having that depth of background in psychology, particularly the areas that I studied—personality psychology, organizational behavior, cultural psychology. Those have become so relevant to my work uh, as a VC today, in particular in partnering with founders over you know that roller coaster journey um, that you know well. Um, so so I've been really grateful to have that experience. Um, I often joke that you know I, I might as well have a um, like a red sofa in my office because you know when you're the CEO founder of a company, it can be often one of the most You know, isolating, alienated roles um, of any job you could have, and you know, my goal is you know to always be that 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 first call for the tough topic, including some of the more um, challenging or emotional topics that come up. Um, Co-founders that are trying to get alignment, challenges with hiring or team building, um, issues with other investors or employees or partners or, or customers, even um, you know around the company story. Um, learning how to navigate difficult 
challenges, both from a tactical perspective, but also from a human perspective are really critical uh, to being an effective thought partner in this role, particularly as like a pre-seed seed investor when you're coming in right at the beginning. So I'm, I'm really grateful that that was part of uh, my story, even if it's maybe a less uh, traditional part of the, the VC pathway. You know, that's so exciting you say this because I can't agree more like it's a very tough and lonely job as a founder and having um, an early stage investor like yourselves who understands it from a just educational background point of view. It's super interesting because you're right, like it's a non-traditional path. We've, I, I don't think we have a lot of VCs who come from uh, experience in psychology, um, but I can imagine how that can come handy uh, when you just understand the psyche of how it may work and how lonely can this job get. And, you just, you just know how to say the right things just because you've studied it to begin with. So that's kind of really cool. Um, building on this and, and you then transitioned into the VC world, could you share a little bit about how that went about and what really sparked your interest in early stage investing? How did you break in? Well, you know, it all started um, very unintentionally with a cold call. Um, I remember I was about gosh, I think 25 years old or so. And I'd read about this uh, VC in Seattle who had invested in a bunch of startups that I thought were really interesting. And uh, his name's Greg Gottesman and, and spoiler alert, he's now my current partner um, at PSL. But I remember I was, I was 25, I was in um, like a dorm room and I found his landline phone number for his office and I called it and he did not pick up. And I left this four minute long rambling voicemail message for him just about, oh, I'd love to meet you sometime and maybe we can get coffee. I'd love to talk about the startup scene in Seattle. I was from Seattle and I was interested in the idea of, of returning home. I was on the East Coast at the time. Um, and to my surprise, he called me back um, maybe a day later. Um, and said, look, I'd be delighted to meet with you. Um, next time you're in, you know, the Seattle area, let's grab a coffee and, you know, excited to get to know you better. And, you know, at that age, I was, I was so, um, touched, gratified really that, you know, his response was that he was this very well-known, uh, established person in the industry and, you know, like the most well-known VC in Seattle. I was just blown away that he would take a cold call like that. And you know, call back a you know random grad student who left him a voicemail message. Um, I met him. He ended up connecting me with um, one of the startups um, in his portfolio. I worked for that startup for a time and kind of kept in touch with him as I joined Amazon and in the earlier years of the Kindle team. And um, one day, I you know I'd reached out to him. We got a, another cup of coffee, and he said, "Look, have you ever considered?" Uh, you know, coming over to the dark side, really <laughs> becoming a VC. And um, that was a really exciting prospect for me after having experienced the role that, you know, strong board members, strong investors, you know, played at the startup. And frankly, you know, knowing him, you know, over that time period and seeing the work that he got to do made me really excited to, to learn the ropes there. Um, so that was my first foray into the venture world. I started out as you know, a bottom of the rung uh, associate at uh, Madrona, which is our former firm, um, and just had you know, the most uh, exhilarating, um, wonderful experience there, learning 
not only from the partners um, that I got to you know shadow um, in those early years, but learning how to you know create my own deal flow and um, you know build my own relationships with founders for um, new investment opportunities uh, and long-term support. So that that's the origin story of um, the venture world for me. That is really exciting. And if I may, Julie, what I'm hearing is you just reached out cold, not necessarily with the intention of maybe wanting to work in the VC ecosystem right away. Like you said, you ended up spending some time in the operator world in one of the portfolios of Madrona and then just keeping in touch and being fairly open. And when when kind of the there was something on the table to be thought about, you just took it up. Um, the reason I bring it up, Julie, is because a lot of what we hear on how people broke into the VC world kind of becomes this uh, very surreal uh, response that it happened by chance. I wasn't sure that VC was for me, uh, which I think is is not uh, not one of those, uh, you know, one in 10 people just fall into this place. It's more of, it truly happens as a norm. Like it's not necessarily that you need to aim to break into the VC world. You just need to kind of follow what you truly like and enjoy. Um, and and keep in touch with the right set of mentors and people who guide you the right way. And if it has to happen, it will materialize. Like um, it's same went for you. Like you, I'm sure we're enjoying the operator world. But when Greg was like, let's let's do something together and come to the dark side, you just explored the opportunity. And uh, maybe a decade or more down the line, you're so happy, you're so accomplished, and it was just meant to be. Is that a fair assessment? You'd say. Well, that that last part that you said about the importance of um, building, you know, relationships and keeping in touch with people. Um, when I teach, you know, at, at the University of Washington, that's one of the the lessons that I hope I'm able to drive home for for young people early in their careers. Um, you gotta have those 100 cups of coffee. Um, you know, you can't be timid or shy about reaching out or making that cold call, maybe you'll have better judgment than I did in like leaving a, that long of a voicemail message. But um, it's so important to sort of get out there. And even if you're cold calling folks or getting warm introductions um, to cultivate those relationships. Um, I also think, and I, I don't think it's just bias, but I, I think it's true that, you know, if you're interested in a particular industry in particular, and you've got um, a fascination with innovation and how companies get built and the startup ecosystem is exciting to you, um, getting to know um, investors, angel investors, venture investors is a really great and very efficient way uh, to learn about opportunities in the ecosystem that you're in, um, in part because their job is just to meet a lot of people, meet a lot of companies and kind of get a pulse for what's happening and what's exciting. I mean, it can save you a lot of time and maybe even result in, you know, quicker intros to you know the people and opportunities that are more exciting. So um, I think that piece of it was a really big aha for me. I, I fell into it perhaps accidentally, but hope that the next generation of, of students that I get to work with can be you know, more deliberate and systematic about that. On point. I completely agree. I think it's very, very well, well put and said. Um, would love to talk a little bit about the growth in this industry. And again, like uh, of the 80 odd episodes that we've done. We've not had so many women that we could interview who are actually in check writing positions. And that's the almost the whole reason why this show exists in a way. Um, you're one of those few women who've kind of climbed up the ladder, as uh, as we say, and you are one of the MDs at PSL today. Um, could you share a little bit about how the growth continued for you in, in the VC world? And with the fund today, what's your mission like? What are you most excited about? 
Yeah, well, I, I can give you a little bit about um, the mission piece and that maybe the rest kind of flows from there. Um, so, so PSL, we are, we're two things. Um, we're both a pre-seed and seed stage venture fund that invests in tech companies um, you know, that have some kind of connectivity to the talent ecosystems of the Northwest. Um, that's usually Seattle. It also might be Vancouver, BC, or Portland, Oregon, or even Boise, Idaho. Um, but there's just a lot of innovation, a lot of talent that's drawn here, and very little capital chasing it. So um, we're, you know, delighted to be one of the the few funds that's really focused on just the talent networks of this region and tech. Um, we're also a startup studio. We're the largest startup studio in this part of the world. Uh, we co-create from scratch, totally new companies with local entrepreneurs. Um, and, um, you know, we've raised about um, $180 million on our fund side over the past few years. Our studio, we've raised about $30 million. Uh, and we're really focused at the really raw, really early stages. Um, and so um, that's earlier than I used to be investing when I was at Madrona. We were a little bit more sort of seed A. Right now, you know, most of our investments are at formation. Um, and it's been really exciting to build a different model for venture than, than what I'd seen before. Um, we've structured the fund in kind of an interesting way. We've taken a big piece of um, the carried interest, the profit upside in the fund, and allocated it to all the employees on the studio side. So our engineers, our designers, our data scientists, um, product, marketing, ops, finance, recruiting, everybody has big interest in the fund. So irrespective of whether you partner with us um, on the fund side or on the studio side, we want our entire team of 20-something people um, who are all former startup founders and executives themselves to be both economically and spiritually aligned with supporting you in ways that are not just strategic, but also really tactical. Um, and to be able to offer that at the pre-seed stage is really unique and something I'm really proud of um, as far as our ability to do that here in Seattle. Um, and the growth of this region, to your question, over the time frame that I've been in venture has been just unreal um, in a lot of different dimensions. Certainly the amount of companies that are being started, companies that are raising, how much funding, what the exit profile of the region looks like, all of those things have skyrocketed over the past 10 years. But I think it's also interesting, um, given the focus of your podcast, to talk about the diversity of, of founders um, that we're now you know, seeing start companies in the region. Um, I, I hope it's not you know, uncouth to say this, but you know, when I started in venture, I mean, literally every single team that I invested in looked almost exactly the same. Um, white, male, cisgender, um, 40 years old to 60 years old, um, doing something in sort of the B2B or cloud world. It was sort of like the same thing again and again. And now I look at our portfolio and 35% you know, of our investments are women founded. 35% are BIPOC founded. Usually it's the CEO who identifies as underrepped in entrepreneurship or in tech. Um, and that's something that, I mean, when I started in this industry, I could have only like um, dreamed of, and there's still such a long way to go, but it shows you, you know, how far we've come from the portfolios of, of yesteryear to now. Um, the last thing I'll say is the venture ecosystem has changed a bit in turn. Um, I remember when I started in venture, like I didn't even know who to call to figure out what to wear to work. Um, I remember there was um, um, someone here in town, Michelle Goldberg, who was an investor at Ignition, um, um, a firm that was around when I started. And I remember calling her up being like, 
can I wear flannel to work? Is that allowed? Is that appropriate for, uh, for the venture world? Um, these days, when I'm looking for advice, I'm like on a WhatsApp thread with 60 other women who are, you know, check writers in venture from around the country. Um, most of them are moms. They're of every age and every background and disposition. And uh, it's incredibly rich and robust as far as the conversation and support goes. And I'm really thankful for that evolution. It benefits not only, you know, the venture ecosystem, but I think the entire innovation ecosystem of founders and, and new companies benefits as a result of that change. Hopefully there's a lot more of it to come to. That is amazing and genuinely uh, something to be very proud of. I mean, you've seen this change um, in your own lifetime of building uh, PSL. So that's truly um, like kudos to you and the team and just seeing amazing progress in the, even the, the North Pacific area, which is, which is a small part of the US, but it's still seeing so much growth um, in representation. It's it's truly commendable. Um, just on the same note, uh, we realized that you've been very active in the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Seattle. Um, and we read about a few of amazing initiatives you've been doing specifically for the entrepreneurial culture for women. Um, you started this Seattle Entrepreneurial Women's Network, um, and I'm sure a few other things around as well. So we'd love to hear a little bit about these engagements in the whole entrepreneurship ecosystem in Seattle. Um, what's your vision with those? How have they been growing? How are you, what are you most excited about with those? Well, you know, it's impossible to talk about that topic for this region or anywhere without acknowledging that there's, yes, been significant, meaningful change um, over the past decade, maybe even over the past five, six years in particular. Um, but there's also just so much more to do, such a, a long way to go still. Um, but it's been gratifying to see the change. Um, I remember when I started as, you know, a very green uh, associate um, at Madrona, I remember at the end of my first year looking at, you know, all the deals that, you know, we had seen as a firm over the prior year. And I could literally count the number of underrepresented founders on my hands. Um, on my hands. Um, it was just, it was de minimis. And um, it struck me that one of the big differences is that when I met with, you know, male entrepreneurs, as an example, it was always kind of like a name game, like, oh, this person and that advisor, this employee, this hire, and they all kind of knew each other and went to the same events and the same poker nights. And it was, it was kind of this endless cycle. And then when I would, when I would speak to say um, a female founder, and I'd say, oh, well, do you know that this person here and um, even the other women founders in town, they would say, no, I mean, I actually, I, I don't, I've kind of just been building. Um, and so um, I had started um, an organization that was a pretty um, you know, informal organization called the Seattle Entrepreneur Women's Network. We did quarterly programming and networking events. We had a LinkedIn group that was you know, kind of private for folks who were founders and you could have sort of, you know, offline, you know, confidential conversations there. Um, and that was really, um, to my knowledge, like the sadly, the first sort of formal networking programming group specifically for women founders in the region. Um, since that time, thankfully, that organization and its mission has been succeeded by so many fantastic standout organizations 
here in town that are not only local, but on the national spectrum, like um, Graham and Walker led by Leslie Feinzeg here in town or um, the F-Bomb Breakfast Club. There's um, really fantastic groups. Um, mine, you know, over the past 10 years has really become just sort of a, you know, glorified LinkedIn network as, you know, these really grassroots founder-led organizations have really taken over the mantle and done just a fabulous job galvanizing the, the community. The other thing I'll, I'll say is, you know, outside of, um, you know, my, my full-time work and, you know, being a mom, et cetera, I spend most of my time focused on um, local education policy um, at the state level. Um, all the nonprofit board work that I do really touches themes there, not just through the University of Washington, but also through the Washington Roundtable, um, where I chair the education policy committee that's focused on um, particularly empowering women and students of color to achieve a post-secondary credential um, by the time they're 26. Um, and I also am uh, on the board of the Washington State Opportunity Scholarship, where the vast majority of scholarship recipients in very technical sort of um, STEM-like areas are, um, you know, women, are students of color, first in their family to attend college. Um, it's fantastic to do in general, but it's also a really important thesis for the future of this innovations ecosystem to make sure that every community in the state is being lifted up as far as both network and education. Um, and it's just, it's an area I'm, I'm personally very passionate about. You know, your passion is evident in the way uh, you're describing it. So just a big thank you for all the effort you've been doing. Like you're, you're out there, you're genuinely doing the, the hard work and yeah, it's materialized into so many different ways. Like you initiated the women's network, but now they've like a lot of them have spun out, um, like you said. And yeah, it's, it's just amazing uh, the growth you've seen and been a part of to lead it. So uh, really, really amazing work. Um, would love to hear a little bit uh, about your some of your biggest learnings to be a quote unquote successful investor in the industry today. Um, and would love if you can talk about specific takeaways for women uh, particularly from your own experiences. And um, and if I may, I recently saw one of our listeners add in a specific question, which I realized we hadn't for whatever reasons added in. Um, they're curious to hear about the concept of work-life balance in the VC industry. Um, and I would, yeah, I'd be, be amazing to hear about that in the last bit of our conversation on your learnings and specifically for women, if there's some set of things you want to tell them. Sure, yeah. Well, I, I can start with maybe lessons learned, particularly for um, uh, women and underrepresented founders. Um, and I, you know, you, you had sent me a note before saying, you know, that might be a, a fun theme to talk about. And I was thinking about like, what, what would I say? And what all I can think of is, is a story that I have um, about two founders that I knew um, years ago who, um, you know, took very similar paths and then very different paths. And this story actually highlights the importance of, of storytelling and um, your ability to tell your own story effectively um, and to maybe even brag about your story a bit too. Um, so I'll, I'll keep them nameless, but, but founder one and founder two um, both started companies in like the exact same sector, had you know kind of comparable products. They had employee bases that grew to roughly the same size. They raised you know, kind of the same amount of funding. They were around the same number of years. And they both, by most investor metrics, failed. 
Um, but they sold through you know, basically an aqua hire, a very small outcome uh, to household name companies. Um, and the you know, team basically joined those companies and then started working on a different product at those companies. Um, if you were to talk to founder one and founder two about those experiences, they would talk about those experiences very differently. Founder number one would say things like, gosh, I'm just so grateful for all the lessons that I learned. I am so glad that we, able, we were able to find a wonderful landing spot for the team. They're working on products they find interesting. And yeah, there's some scar tissue for it, but I'm going to apply that you know, to my next thing and really just grateful for the experience. Founder number two would go around town telling you know everybody from the rooftops you know I built and sold a company I've accomplished what like 99.9% of people have never been able to accomplish we sold to this household name company my team's working on killer products this just started as a twinkle in my eye and I realized this dream I had a, an acquisition most people can only you know pray to have that kind of story I'm so excited to take that on to my next thing now Founder number one basically, you know, ended up becoming sort of like a mid-level manager um, at companies after that and felt a little bit maybe anxious about taking the leap again. Founder number two just raised like $50 million for their company. And, you know, you might not be surprised to hear that founder number one was uh, an underrepresented founder, a female founder, and founder number two was a white, straight, cisgender, 40-year-old male founder who, you know, all, you know, talk about themselves in very different ways. And we can't paint with broad strokes. Everyone, you know, tells their story differently. But what I always tell, you know, any underrepresented founders, including women founders, is that if you aren't walking into every, you know, cell conversation as the most, you know, braggy, obnoxious version of yourself when you tell your story, then you're not going to attract as much interest because the person who came in right before you probably looks like founder number two and talked about their experience like founder number two. And it's going to be hard side by side to feel like both are, you know, as interesting and a successful track record to invest in. So I always remember that when talking with founders and even when talking about myself, even it's not necessarily a natural muscle. Um, but a really important one for um, founders to remember, especially in those moments where you're trying to exercise influence. That is so powerful, so effective. Um, I've been, I've been privy to what you're saying. I can, I can relate to this. I will tend to be somewhere like the founder number one, trying to be modest or whatever. And yeah, like in the world where uh, the supply demand shifts still towards the source of capital. Um, it's still an investor market. You you want to you want to sell your story and and just sell the mission that you're building it for and just be out there. Um, so th thanks for sharing. That was super awesome. Very powerful. Um, and if we can end on a small note and and thoughts from your side about any lessons around being able to manage work life. Is it really different? Is this even a point of conversation that we should be having? Would love those thoughts. And yeah, that that's that'd be amazing to hear from you. Yeah, well, you know, I, the answer to that is that it's, for me, it's hard. I mean, you know this, you've got, you know, this multidimensional life, both professionally and personally. Um, 
you know, I felt a real change, especially after having, you know, children um, and, and how, you know, how you think about both of those sides of yourself. One thing that's been very powerful for me is the recognition and maybe even appreciation or embracing of the notion that you don't have to be an A student in every part of your life all the time. In fact, on any given day, it's okay to be like a C plus student and, you know, an A somewhere else. So some days, you know, I'm just, you know, um, you know, kind of a C plus mom or wife or friend. Like today's one of those days, honestly, I'm just like, it's been a really like busy day at work and I get to do really fun things like talk to you, but you know, time constraints, you know, feel, feel intense. Um, and there's other days where I'm, you know, like a total A plus mom and a total A plus wife and friend and all these other things personally. And I'm just off at work and I would totally give myself a C plus. And you know what? That is okay because it's actually happening to everybody all the time. It's just that I think as, as maybe women in particular to overgeneralize, we feel the pain of not being, not getting the A. Um, and so learning how to just see that as something to embrace as a positive, as a normal thing has been a really big um, leap for me and something that's been um, powerful personally to be able to acknowledge. There's never been perfect balance, but we're all just having to wait and shift our time and focus as we need to, to survive and thrive. And um, knowing you're part of a, a whole army of people doing that every day is really powerful. That is genuinely very, very well put. Um, thank you so much, Julie. This was truly a wonderful chat. Thanks again for your time. I'm sure our listeners will truly appreciate all that you had to say. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you for galvanizing the community uh, that you are with this podcast and for giving a platform for, for voices across you know, the venture and innovation ecosystem. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to offer and I'm excited to become uh, a more regular listener. Definitely.